So you're from the state of Tennessee, and we are together again. We've been in a couple turkey camps together. We've been in Arkansas together at some events, but now we're up in Canada together. Mallard ducks, snow-covered field, mojos going, greenhead gear, Canada full bodies and mallard full bodies. Ducks are probably somewhere around 45 yards, and you're thinking I need to be calling the shot, or was was I being overzealous at 45 yards? Were they closer than that? Talk to me a little bit, Hunter Macklemore. 45 yards, they were more like four or five yards. You, you can't always have them. I mean, we had 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 ducks within 20 yards, and we're not shooting because <laughs> I still don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Barkley's elbowing me. I'm elbowing him. It's it, it was driving me crazy. But I mean, you've been to Argentina. You've already worn the rust off, the dust, and all that. I've been sitting at home, 95 degree weather, waiting to shoot a duck in the face for you know too long, and then you're letting them just peck our eyes out and fly off. So, so you think that more shots would have been called? And I mean, layman's terms, you're just saying that I didn't call the shot enough. No. I mean, it, it, it was good for what we're doing. I mean, that, that it was great. I mean, but uh, it, it's fun to watch them, but it's also fun to shoot them too. What do you think, Barkley? Were you kind of were you really elbowing him that I don't know about this? Yes, <laughs> you did. <laughs> There's a lot of birds we could have shot, Chad. I know, but you're looking at it from the eye of a guide. You got clients up here from, let's say, North Carolina, South Carolina, Louisiana, Alabama. A lot of your clientele that comes to Canada, a lot is actually from the southeastern part of the United States because they don't have a big-time duck population there, especially puddle ducks. So you get these guys up here, and yeah, you're going to let them get into them. We're kind of doing things different because we want to show the true majesty of ducks, and all I hear is just these guys mother-effing me up and down from the blind. I thought you guys were my buddies, and then all of a sudden you guys like turned on me. How many times did you say, damn, we should have shot them? Me, personally? Yes, you did personally. Did I say that out loud? Mm-hmm. Phew. <laughs> Chad, Chad gave me a box of shells, I don't know, what was it, 17 years ago when you first, I think I got three left out of that box. <laughs> so maybe tomorrow I'll get to finish it off and start on a fresh box. So you're saying, Grant Kuypers, that I don't call the shot enough to you? <laughs> No comment. Would that be like being notorious for doing that or not doing that? Or is that infamous? Like I'm now known around this duck, my duck hunting peers that I don't call the shot. Is that something that. The the infamous words, when you say, God, that's so beautiful. That's when you lean your gun back up against the, because you're not shooting. We're sitting, we're watching these boys come. I figured that out quick. Hey, everybody out there in the podcast world. This is Chad Belding, your host of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Thank you so much for all of the attention you're giving us, all of the just nonstop downloaded hours and the support you're giving the podcast. We're excited for it. We hope that you enjoy the variety of guests that we have. And today, we have another variety of guests. It's duck season now. We've uh, we've been waiting for this through the dog days of summer, through May, June, July, August, 105 degrees, like Hunter just alluded to in the state of Tennessee. It was 109, 110 degrees at one time in Chico, California, then we were just dying waiting to go to argentina and we got down to argentina and uh and it was a, a blessing to have that and now we're in saskatchewan canada 
with Buck Paradise Outfitters. Grant Kuyper is one of my good, good friends in the hunting industry. My other good buddy, Barkley Fisher, they've been together. We're going to learn a little bit about what they've done in the last 18, 20 years of friendship, business partnerships, their lodges, their offerings. And what I love about what Grant Kuypers has done, and I want Grant to talk a little bit about the history of Buck Paradise, because the story is so enthralling. And it was done, it was really started on a whim of, yeah, hey, you should you got a lot of birds up here. You might want to look into this and not just deer, right? You were guiding for deer. And I believe it was Tom Matthews maybe that had a part to do with that. And that's how the relationship spread over to Fred Zink and the Avery family and Greenhead gear. But Grant Kuypers is probably, and I would say this up against anybody. I mean, I know that everybody knows the two words, Jim Shockey in Saskatchewan because of Jim's TV exploits and what he does. And Jim is a badass. There's no doubt about it. But when it comes to providing a service of bear hunting, whitetail hunting, fishing, whether it's for pike or lake trout and duck and goose hunting lesser canada geese mallard ducks pretty much the first cropland agriculture that waterfowl see when they leave the tundra and fly over the forest they get to this part of saskatchewan and grant kuypers has developed a waterfowling and hunting empire in this area and i'm not just saying that that's the truth he has an unbelievable business and and, and brand going on up here grant talk to me a little bit thank first of all thank you for being here i'm, I'm so humbled to have you on here it was great the surprise today seeing you show up in the duck blind how did it start and why have you been successful well thanks chad um yeah we started out originally as a whitetail deer guide for years and uh uh i've worked for a few different outfitters and and one day sitting in the field waiting for a hunter i thought i, I gotta get into this dig myself you know and uh, a lot of hunters were telling me that if you know if i ever started my own business or because i always kind of talked about it or or wanted to uh work for somebody else to give them a call they'd love to hunt with me again so i uh started it up i was i i, I bought out an uncle of mine that had a few white-tailed deer tags and uh thinking of a name and at first i think i was going to call it northern lights outfitting and i was sitting with my good friend kevin winger who you know who used to guide for us we we're having a coffee in the restaurant one morning he's like you should call it buck paradise and i'm like the the old check blanks from northern they weren't even old they were weak i said yep buck paradise it is so started it out with just deer <clears throat> and we got going with that and uh and, and it, it really built steam fast. We built a nice little log cabin to keep our hunters in. We had good food. Um, again, that little cabin was just guys came, they felt at home, they felt comfortable. And we had great deer, which Saskatchewan is notorious for. And we did that, you know, for a couple of years and uh, we were harvesting. And uh, I get a call. We had some uh, from some Mossy Oak boys and they're like, uh, Actually, I'm sorry, it was from a fellow outfitter, Harley Nolt, up in Pierceland. He's like, Grant, I've got Mossy Oak up here filming with me for white-tailed deer, and they'd like to shoot some geese. Do you got any geese by you? I said, Harley, they said, there's a field a mile away from me, loaded right up. And I love to hunt waterfowl. I did it here and there, you know. I'd travel way down in southern Saskatchewan to shoot speckle bellies, and we'd go on the odd mallard hunt at home, but usually pretty busy that time of the year because we grain farm, too, with harvest and everything. And I said, yeah, send them up. So the Mossy Oak boys came up and uh, they brought a bunch of decoys and I found them some good fields and <laughs> and they left me a bunch of the, their gear. We had the old goose chairs that we used to hide underneath and all that stuff. And and uh, I called up Harley and I asked him if he wanted to sell his outfit and waterfowl rights up in our area. And he's like, yeah, for sure. I don't use it. So 
we bought that and uh all of a sudden boom we're waterfowl outfitters and you know uh again just like the white-tailed deer i was sitting on a on a mecca of just unbelievable hunting for waterfowl ducks and geese and uh yeah we just built it up and i wasn't into the business not even a year and barkley um came one day he used to be a teacher and he drove in the yard never knew him from adam and he's just like uh i'd like to come and guide for you i'm like okay i i didn't know him or anything about him but seemed like pretty good dude so do you know how to drive a tractor he's like no and i said well um you're gonna have to do a little bit of that if you're gonna work here and he's like okay so <laughs> first day barkley shows up still has his kind of his dress clothes on from teaching school or whatever he was doing and he didn't even unpack his stuff i threw him on a tractor and a baler and said here you go and <laughs> made around with them and uh yeah what kind of baler was it i think it was a a new holland baler yeah 650 or 650 yeah. how old how old was it <laughs> it wasn't that old but it yeah barclay had some bad luck which anyways i could tell you a million stories about barclay's short farming career with us he he worked hard not to be able to do it again he'd rather be out in the field looking for ducks and geese but so barclay and i hooked up and we started building the waterfowl thing basically together and uh you know there's a, a long history of and great stories of of meeting chad and and um clay and their crew and them coming up here and putting us on the map fred zinc and all those guys you know it's been unbelievable the people that have come to hunt with us and where it's taken us and now that the people that do come and hunt with us and uh the great people that we get to meet and since then um several years ago barclay acquired some land south of the river we i i hunt what we call north of the river it's the north saskatchewan river barclay hunts on the south side of the north saskatchewan river so we call it the north camp which i've always had and he acquired some land south of the river and he built himself up uh, a beautiful uh lodge and uh and uh we've started taking hunters over in this area um out of this camp and it just saves a lot of travel time he lives right in the heart of uh some of the best duck and goose hunting area that we have here and it's really been able nice for us to diversify and spread our outfitting waterfowl business out even more so so barclays you're running the south camp which is the lodge we're sitting in right now you bought this property or you had it in your family or how did you, how did you, I mean, this is a beautiful piece of land right here. How'd you fall into this? Yeah, it was a quarter section of land that family owned. Um, my cousin, Lauren Elwood, and he just offered it to me one day. He just said, Hey, you know, he, he had this land. I think he bought it the year I was born, 1969. He had it for that many years and he's just getting older. He just said, you know, I'll sell it to you. So I bought it off him. Then we, we built this shop and built the lodge inside the shop and stuff. So it was, yeah, it's through family for sure. It's the only way pretty much to buy land now around in this area. So back in the day when I was, when we were hunting at the North Lodge a bunch with Freddie and you would take off and you would go to, with a, a group of duck hunters, I remember Barkley would do that all the time. He would run. I always thought that you were going over by Lloyd. Is this where you were going? Was this country here? Uh, pretty much close to here, between here and Lloydminster, for sure. Marshall, Lashburn, all through this area. So, so, is it safe to say that the North Camp is known for lessers and this camp down here has more ducks? Or does the North Camp still get the mallards that, that you see around this area? We've, got a, we've always had a lot more potholes. You know, may, I think probably our duck hunting over the years has been stronger. Um, you, we can't compete with Grant's lesser 
goose hunting. That's phenomenal up there, right? But overall, we shoot a lot of ducks down here year after year after year, and, you know, and and we probably shoot less geese, but our duck hunting has been always been real strong. Yeah, we've always looked at Barkley just to as a savior for the duck hunts in the evening. You know, I'm just like we're struggling for ducks over here on the north side, and this year is a little different. I don't know what our weather's has just been a little goofy this year, but we've uh, seen a, a, a little better on the duck end, the best I've ever seen it, to be honest with you. I don't know how long lived that'll be or not, but we're enjoying it while we have it, you know, not having to travel so far with our guys to, to get on good duck hunts. But we, yeah, our, our, just your 2018, our duck hunts have been, we're more successful than our goose hunts. And I don't know, we can talk about that. I, it's, uh, the weather this year, I think has just got everything screwed up. We've had the wettest, coldest month of September that you can imagine stalled harvest most of the crops are still 75 percent out 50 to 75 like a lot of crop out yet and uh which is terrible and we had that big snow last night but we had snow in september like twice three to five inches of rain and it's just been the craziest waterfowl season we're still getting them really good the ducks especially the geese have been just a struggle all year we're, we're doing good but it's been the toughest we've ever had it for geese yeah, I, I kind of looked back over 19 years, and I think I've seen this about three times, where the lesser, hunting lesser Canada's gets tough. And we, we're, we're sort of racking our brains to figure out why, but I think you're right. It's a combination of the weather, a lot of mature lessers, you know, birds that are smart and just tougher to hunt. And we've also had farmers with crop on the ground, and birds have been getting scared off them fields day after day after day because they don't want them eating their crop. So they're they're not settling in and they're not yeah farmers will go out there and bust them out with their trucks or quads and or whatever they need to do whatever they got to do just they don't <laughs> want them eating their crop you get yeah. ten thousand ducks and geese on your crop doesn't take them long to do a bunch of damage so yeah and I, and again our hunting conditions I think like snow and then frost no wind like it's the worst I've seen it for any yeah. fall you know so but yeah, we're still doing well but it's been. Tougher. I, yeah. At the end of the day, the bird count's still pretty high. Yeah, for sure. Lots of birds. Hunter, with you coming up here to Buck Paradise for the first time, I know you've hunted waterfowl in Saskatchewan several times. Talk to me a little bit about your your um, knowing or your know of of Buck Paradise. Like, I know you've been in the waterfowl game for a long time with the different companies that you've worked with. Obviously, you're with Bandit and Avery now. You have a lot of history in this industry with your dad and what he did in the duck call world and the world duck calling championships talk to grant and kuiper and 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 barkley a little bit about who your dad was because obviously that's what i was thinking of just now is that grant has a group in town and in camp up in the north camp right now mr earl the original owner of triton boats and your dad and him were really really good buddies and you grew up around mr earl and that network is just right there the common denominator again being duck hunting but when did you did you hear about buck paradise through freddie's videos or seen it on the outdoor channel or or did you know it before i invited you up here this year I've heard of it. I mean, I, I had seen it on TV. I'd seen Grant. I'd seen uh, the the deer hunting side of it, and then the waterfowl side of it crossed over. He's got Earl Benson in camp right now, Harold Knight. Uh, my dad was three-time world champion, champion of champions, so I grew up. I was lucky enough to grow up in this industry, basically, and that's got me to where I'm at today. Um, by, by his relationships with people, I kind of slid in that, but as far as the hunting side of it, Dad was more of a 
a duck caller is what I would call it, and I just call ducks. I mean, he was the, he was the stage guy with. Uh, I was lucky enough to, like I said, uh, Earl Harold, uh, David Hale, um, the late Tim Grounds. Um, I grew. That's that's who I was with all the time. Uh, so they did all the the talking, the promotion, the stage calling. But they were also phenomenal hunters, so I just watched and learned and went with them and did did this. Now I didn't do the the stage competition and and all that, but as far as um, just being out in the field, that's what that's what that's what that's the side of it that drew me out. Uh, that's what I like to do, and and you know would do it every day if I could. As far as uh, Grantham's place, yes, I, uh, that's definitely one of the best well-known uh, when you talk about Canada that's one of the names that pops up first so um, just meeting him today uh, this is a phenomenal operation they got going up here and it's uh, it's some place that anybody that dreams about coming to Canada to kill ducks and geese would want to be a part of, of something like this so so with you you kind of went over a little bit about your dad Mr. McLemore Mike McLemore um, he, he did, he won the world's, the, 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 the grand prize of duck calling, the world duck calling championships in Stuttgart, Arkansas three times. And then he came back and won the champion of champions, which is all people from the last years that have won it, get a chance to every five years, they hold the champion of champions contest. And Mike won that as well. Um, and to do that is phenomenal in the first place. There's only a handful of human beings that have ever done that. John Stevens being one, your dad being one, uh, did Johnny Mafus do it? I don't know. I don't know if he did or not. There's a few of them though that have done it. And that is, that's what I love about this week now of, of seeing, like, I knew you had heard about Grant and then you meet Barkley in the South camp. We're going to get to go to dinner tomorrow at the North camp. We're actually going to be up there hunting next, the next week with the, uh, after we're done in Alberta, we're coming back over to hunt with Grant at the North camp. Um, That's what I love about this network. And where I want to talk about Grant real quick is that Grant is a farmer from Saskatchewan. Okay. He, he was a farmer. He grew up farming. He grew up, you know, maybe killing a deer or a bear here and there, got into the outfitting like you just heard. But I would, I would venture out to say that if you grabbed his cell phone right now and went into his contact list, I bet you that he has probably three to four times more contacts from America in his phone than he does Canadians. I might be wrong, but Grant, t- your your network is so vast now because of your celebrity. You are a celebrity. I mean, you are. I've been in. I've been around Canada with them, and it's like, wow, this is like walking around with Wayne Gretzky. But you 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 have a huge network now, and it's all because of this little tiny area of Paradise Hill, Saskatchewan, in these three log cabins with these combines around it, in these metal buildings, and this hot tub, and this bar, and these dead bears, and these big whitetails, and these straps of geese and ducks. And the family with your, your, your boys involved in it, it's, it's like this Mecca and this awesome brand that you built, but you literally have gone worldwide with Buck Paradise to where I, you, you have people from Europe coming here, Asia coming here to hunt, America, and you probably have least people from Canada. You probably don't have very many locals that come here. I think a lot of your business is from the States, yeah? For sure it is. Yeah, probably 95%. We do get some Canadians, but yeah, it's, I don't know what the word is, um, Surreal. Surreal. Like, honestly, just to start it, it was a, a white-tailed deer business. You know, we'll take 25 white-tailed deer hunters a year, make some good extra cash on the farm. And, you know, and, and I love to guide. You know, back in the day, I used to guide a lot, even waterfowl hunters. I'm not the greatest 
I'm not even a very good caller, but um, I just I could find fields and being growing up in the farming background, I knew all the farmers. So getting permission to hunt fields, which is the most important thing in waterfowling, um, was always easy for me because everybody knew knew me and and uh, I farmed beside them and uh, I guess we could say respected in the in the town and we do a lot of community work. We still do today. Um, you know, we give back a lot to our little town of Paradise Hill and it, it's, it's just really a lot. It's <clears throat> made it, I'm not going to say easy. I never take anything for granted, but it's been just a lot of fun because I'll just call farmers and I'll say, you know, are we okay to hunt? And they're like, Grant, you, you got it. You know, and if anybody calls us, we'll just tell them to deal with you, you know, and it's <clears throat> again, that word surreal has been how it's all come together has been unbelievable. A lot of the things, so, you know, again, to you guys, Chad, and, and, you know, the TV thing did put us on the map big time, you know, and we've hunted with some of the best. You, you know, Freddie, uh, Primo's guys, um, Pat and Nicole, all those people have come and hunted with us, and, you know, they've helped put us on the map. My motto was just treat people the way you wanted to, to be treated, you know, the way I'd like to treat, be treated, you know, just be kind and do your best to show them a good time you know, provide good lodging and good food and good guides. I can't control the hunting, you know. Luckily, I live in a part of the world that offers unbelievable waterfowl, white-tailed deer and bear hunting, you know. So that's made it easy for me too. But, yeah, I, I honestly am thankful every day. I feel blessed for what I have. And, uh, again, it is surreal. I never thought it would grow to be what it is. And when you say that Buck Paradise is or my name, you know, it's, again, I... I, I know you don't think, but if you yeah. think about it, Hunter just said that he's down in he's down in Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas area, the Delta, you know, the south southeast part of the United States, and he knows who you are. Mm. He saw you walk up today. I'm not saying that he's like all googly eyed, but it's like <laughs> you know that's that's a legit operation, and and you've done it because of your kind heart and what you do. I'm nobody's ever going to sit here and say that you're the best duck hunter, or the best goose no. hunter, or even the best whitetail hunter. But you you're humbled enough to understand that, and you know where you come from, and your humble roots have gotten you to where you are because it's it's contagious. Like once you're around you, you want to come back and you want to be a part of it. And I know that for a fact because the first time I came here was in two. 2001 and i never i mean i was just like man i want to guide here i want to work here i want to be i want to do this all the time and and thankfully i was friends with fred zinc and he you know he invited me to come up here to be a part of his dvd series back in the early 2000s and um you know and i it's just one of those places to where you you just it's this the hill it's the it's paradise hill and when you tell people i'm going to paradise hill they're like oh tell grant hi and i think that's a big deal in business and branding of being on the tip of somebody's tongue of being able to say like, Oh, I know I saw Grant on TV. I saw him on Masioka. I saw him on, you know, driven with Pat and Nicole, or I saw him on the foul eye for Freddie show and his DVDs. It was contagious. And that's what you are. And that's why you still have people in your life, 18 and 20 years later that are still first and foremost, your friends, your employees, your partners, everything that you guys do together has be is because of that humble attitude of, Hey, we're just in a good spot. We're going to offer a nice service with some good food, some good people, a nice bar, really nice. There's been some really good memories built at the bar. <laughs> but I just think it's cool hearing a guy like Hunter McLemore, who has so many deep roots in the waterfowl industry, say, yeah, I know who Grant Kuypers is. Yeah, That's a cool deal. And it's, it's got to make you feel like you've accomplished something. I, I, it does. And I, I appreciate it. And again, it's humbling and 
I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I've worked hard at it. I, you know, there was a time where I was way more into the outfitting than the farming and we've downscaled a little bit cause it was, a little, you know, we were running three different camps and it was, or I was, and we're just down to the one now and, and, the, and the camp that Barkley runs over here, I'll help him with that when I can a little bit, but, uh, yeah. And then my sons grew older and, you know, they showed some interest in the agriculture. So now we're, we're building that back up to where it needs to be, but don't, you know, the outfitting will always be at my heart. I love it. I care about it. You know, I worry about it every day. And, uh, and then my youngest boy, Ian, he's, he's following those footsteps. You know, he was, he could have took the day off today. We got all that snow and he's been combining, you know, 20 hours a day. And today he was out in the bush building bridges and getting deer stands and stuff up. So, that warms my heart to see that, you know, he's without even being told he's going out there and doing the job. So yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. I, I can't, I don't know what else to say. I'm, I'm very lucky that I got, you know, I, I live in a great part of the world for, for agriculture and for hunting and I get to enjoy it with my two sons and it's amazing. Yeah. It's awesome to hear that. Hunter, what being, you know, around duck hunting and, and turkey hunting and the things that you've done, the lodges you've visited, the outfitters that you know, both professionally and personally, what makes a good outfitter? What does it take to get, have the the responsibility or the confidence to put an ad in, in a back? It used to be in the back of a magazine. You'd see ads for outfitters. Now, social media, TV, like Grant's mentioned a few times tonight already. If you're an outfitter and you're going to take my money and say, I'm going to put you on, they always say world-class or the hunt of a lifetime and, you know, all these cliches. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to take that responsibility, taking somebody's money and tell them that you're going to provide them a hunt and a service for that, what does it take to really b- develop longevity in Grant's game and, and, and Barkley's game? Do you, talk to me a little bit about your opinion on outfitting and why some succeed and why some fail. Well, first and foremost, I think you, you good people. Um, I just met Barkley yesterday, just met Grant today, and you know right off the bat when you meet somebody, you feel comfortable around them. I, I know these are people that, that I'll keep up with from now on. I mean, and, and that that's the first thing. People read that. They know that you genuinely care about are they having a good time. If, you, if you're taking their money, then they know that you're going to work hard for for that money, you know. Uh, secondly, and they'll tell you this, you got to have good scouts. That's the kicker. To A lot of people want to come and freelance hunt. They don't have any clue what it takes to, after one or two days of freelance hunting, when you're getting up and hunting and then having to do your scouting, and you're, you're dead after two or three days of that. So, so the advanced scouting and the time put in on that is way more than the time is behind the trigger. Uh, so that's what it's worth it if you're going to hire an outfitter or come to hunt with these guys uh they save you that time it's well worth the money and 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 the quality of farms and farmers and that's another thing the relationship with the farmers that they have uh those farmers they they cherish these guys uh friendship and and taking care of their land being stewards of the land not rutting up their fields cleaning up after the hunts they build those relationships and that's something that that's worth every penny you pay uh to come up here and hunt with them uh it's just a a phenomenal operation that they're running and and, And then on top of that what you're what you got the actual 
camp is the how, camp, uh, the, uh, is it, how important though is it to have a quaint cozy place to come back to to where again i mean you get sold on something and you get up to where you're like oh we're, we're staying in like this hotel or the upstairs and i'm not ever going to talk down about anything but if you're going to take again take that responsibility as an outfitter how important is the 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 lodging part of it is it do you, i'm not saying you need five stars you know ritz no, carlton but no. to have this and what grant and what you'll see tomorrow at grant's north camp how important is that part of it? That's great. I mean, you, after a couple of days of hunting, or, or like today, hunting in the cold air out in the elements, you're coming from, uh, most guys coming from the south are coming from a, at this time of year, they're coming from a warm climate. And I'm not saying, it, it, I've been up here too when it's just as warm. Uh, but when you come and you walk out the door and there's eight inches of snow, that's a shock to the system. So you need a good warm place, a good warm meal a good warm bed, uh, hot shower, all that to come back to, and they are well above anything, you know, expectations that, that I would have had. This is it's awesome. Grant, on the other side of it, and Barkley, I want you to pitch in on this too. What about being a guide? Talk to me. First, I want you to talk to me about the rule in Canada. Can I come up here as an American citizen and work for you guys and guide waterfowl hunts? And second, what are you looking for in a guide? Is is it tenacity? Is it personality? Is it sense of humor? Do you you want a guy that can, you know, wrap a little bit in the blind with the clients as far as being able to hold a conversation and keeping them in the know and stuff? What what do you look for when you go to hire them? Because you've had a lot of guides that have lasted a year because they either moved on, but you've had a lot of guides that have lasted 10, 12 seasons. And what are you looking for when you say, yes, I want you to come work at Buck Paradise? Well, um, <laughs> it's a lot of hard work. And, uh, I guess the first question about, you know, can Americans come up here and guide for us? Yeah, they can. We got to go through some loops to get that all legal to do, you know, p permits, work visas, whatever that takes. We've done that before. <clears throat> Again, it's a lot of work, but, uh, we, we'll do it. You know, um, right now we have local guides and, uh, we've been lucky enough, Barclay and I, to find, um, four, five individuals from Saskatchewan and Alberta that can come over here without a bunch of paperwork and guide for us. And these guys honestly do have a great passion for it. They live to hunt. They, you know, they, a month before that you can watch their Snapchats and Instagram and they're, they're out looking for birds and they're like, you know, hashtag sick for it. And I got Chad and Jaden and Jared and Dub and Jace, you know, it's five of our main guys right now. And Without them, especially, you know, Barkley does a lot of scouting um, still and, and sits with the hunters. Uh, I don't get as much time to do that as much as I honestly would like to. I'll still go out and scout whenever I can. But the guides that I got now, you know, they know all the landowners. Those guys are so good. They know landowners I don't even know. And they'll go and and uh, just say, hey, we're working for Buck Paradise and, and, uh, and, you know, can we have permission to hunt your fields? And they build a relationship and uh they're phenomenal like i honestly <laughs> i gave all my guides a raise this year because i've been so busy this fall with this late harvest and these guys are just knocking out of the park and i'm just like you know i'll come have dinner with the hunters and ask them how their day was and they're like grand it was great your guys are awesome you know they're professional what do i look for hard-working guys that can get up early in the morning that can be pleasant with their clients have some fun have some laughs um you know, just make the guys feel comfortable. They have to be, 
they have to be the boss. You know, they got six, seven guys out there that they have to be in control of. They got to keep it safe. Guys come up, they get excited. They, you know, it's not every day that they, you know, a lot of people that come and hunt with us get to see ducks and geese, you know, 20 yards in front of them, feet out, landing, you know, guys get excited. So they got a lot on their plate. They work hard. Um, we do a lot of, you know, four day on three day hunts. So there's, there's very rarely where we have days off where we're not hunting. These guys go hard and they're the backbone of the buck paradise waterfowling and, and even the deer and the bear, you know, if it wasn't for those guys, <clears throat> I couldn't do what I do. I couldn't bring in the people that come to hunt with us. Uh, they are so important. Goes even above that or beyond that with our cooks. Um, we got Mary here. We got Ray at Paradise Hill, our, our cleaning staff that keeps everything looking great, you know, which is huge. Hunters come back, their beds are made, you know, they love all that stuff. And it's just little things that we can do that people really um, see and, and respect and enjoy, you know. And uh, it's just that little, little things all the time that, you know, just I think kind of keep you at the top. So. And then on top of that, what's really cool to me is that within one mile, I mean, not even one mile, I mean this right now, you tell me if I'm wrong, Grant, within 300 yards from the front door of your North Lodge, we've had upwards of anywhere from 200 to 1200 lessers landing in the decoys at a given time. And that's another thing about this area is that you can't go many places in the world and have that consistently happen. Like you have the ability to have here. You have that opportunity every day here with the migration pushing through from the tundra, coming over that forest, seeing that cropland at Buck Paradise, North and South Lodges and Paradise Hill, Saskatchewan, and having the ability to decoy that many birds on top of everything that you just said. So you have these first rate guides, cooks, cleaning staff, bird cleaners, processors. I mean, everything that goes into running the actual property and then when you leave the property on those dirt roads and you're scouting and you're hunting you have the opportunity to see magic and that's what people come to Canada for I think it's a lot of work to come up here even as an American to come up here there is some due diligence you do that costs money to come up here you have to work hard to be able to come to Canada once you come here the first time you're hooked and the reason why is because places like Buck Paradise that have that at any given second the heavens can fall into your decoy spread. And I, I think about so many stories of being up here with Bowers and Langbell and, and Freddie and you and, 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 and Justin Tackett and Shannon Nardi and the, the things that we did and the hunts that we've had, that's just a small part of it in the big picture of what you just talked about in your eyes. That's just like, Hey, that's, that's where we are. The other things are what's most important to you. And that's why your operation is so successful. The birds are just like icing on the cake, right? True. And and we're very, they make us look good. You know, again, they're coming from the tundra. They haven't seen a decoy spread. They're hungry to get in these fields. And again, we use the best decoys, the best blinds, the best cover-ups. We, we try to hunt them like you guys would after they've been shot at 500 times and down in, you know, down in the lower 48. We'll do it. We'll try to do it as good as what you guys do in it. So it just makes it even that much more special you know and and like yeah chad's seen it you know where we've had thousands of lessers landing on top of it, like tens of thousands like that one field up on the hudrake field there when you're standing oh up gosh. like i'll never forget that you know amazing and they were awesome people too oh yeah i got Great a flat people. tire and they fixed it while we were goose hunting <laughs> on their property i'm like damn this is unbelievable um that i want to talk a little bit though about 
this life that we that we get to have and that we cherish so much because I, and again I'll say it farming is awesome but I truly think that the relationships that you have because of hunting whether it's deer bear or waterfowl are amazing and I think you'll feel the same way Barkley I want to ask you this is that you have a lot of friendships built around hunting and why is why does this life get a hold of us we're talking we're talking you guys are not from America you guys are from Canada, which I guess is North America, figuratively speaking. But it doesn't matter where you're at. This hunting lifestyle, this conservation lifestyle, the friends, the camaraderie, the stuff that you get to experience in it. Hunter can go after Barkley, but what? It, why do we do this? I mean, we're literally sitting out there. We're grown men in our 40s, and we're sitting around a bunch of plastic carvings of ducks, like cartoons, in a blind that has, we, we built a fort is what we did. Like, we were seven years old. And we're sitting there as giddy as hell, like a kid on in a candy store on Christmas Eve, waiting for Santa and putting the cookies and milk out there by the by the mantle. Why? What draws us to this? Why do we consistently go out there and beat our skin up? I got to have a lot of lotion after duck season. But <laughs> why, why are we doing this to ourselves? What 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 is it about hunting it's that gets a, it free? It's addicting. It's you go eleven months of the year where you don't hunt. And as it gets closer to September 1st, you get excited because waterfall season is going to start and you're itching to get going. And it's the fellowship. It's the, like you said, fellowship, camaraderie, hang, you got five, six guys in a blind and you're bantering and making fun of you. And like you're 12 again, like you're 12 again. Yeah. Totally. It's simple. And it's still challenging. Like we, we hunted this afternoon in the snow. We had lots of ducks. Did they all come in where you wanted them to? <laughs> Not quite. Close. <laughs> right? <laughs> it is. It, it, uh, to me, I love the waterfowl for the fellowship and the camaraderie. That's what it's always been for me. It's the fun. Fun in the field. Fun in the blind. And, you know. and even to see what we've seen tonight, you know, when there's, you know, 100 ducks coming in and it looks like they're going to fly into your blind and then to come back and watch it on chad's videos you know and the, the the way the cameras are now and stuff and you're just watching that and it's even more beautiful watching it in slow motion on that camera it just gets you wound up like you know i got so much stuff going at home tomorrow but i'm gonna do everything i can to get back out here and, and duck hunt with you guys tomorrow just i would love that because that why you know just watching that video and just being out there again today and this you know brings back so many good memories and you never get tired of it. We got gentlemen that are probably most of them in their sixties that come and hunt with us year after year after year. And they just, it's, it's like watching a bunch of little kids get up in the morning and you know, they're all excited and they're ready to go. And you know, it's amazing. It's an awesome, awesome deal. What is it Hunter? I mean, you, you have been around the Mecca of duck hunting when it comes to the lower 48. I mean, you, you're in Arkansas hunting a lot. You're in Tennessee. You're on the I-40 corridor. You're in the Mississippi Delta. You're in the flooded timber. You're in what they call the duck capital of the world. Okay. You're, you're there a lot. Um, there's a boat 
on everything from a car to a little tiny pickup to a four-wheel drive. Every Southerner's got his blue jeans tucked into his mud boots going into Max Prairie Wings and um, Final Flight and Simmons and all these different uh, stores down there. It's a lifestyle. And I'm getting like literally like getting chills and hair standing up on my arms thinking about it of, of being around the Grand Prairie. And then here you are a couple thousand miles north, maybe 1,500 miles north, and we're still living this life up here to where we're up at 10 o'clock at night talking about being giddy of as 40-year-old men and we can't wait to get back and grant's got a million dollars laying on the ground in, in crops under snow and he's doing everything he can to get it off and into the bins and he's saying i want to come back here and duck hunt with you guys tomorrow what in the freak is going on it's a duck in the brain of a duck is this big maybe what why are we like this it's just uh it's a sickness almost and and it's in you and you can't get rid of it it's been in me my whole life and and I, I thought sooner or later and my wife hoped sooner or later that I, it might wear off but it's not uh we come up here because it starts earlier but a lot of people at home my friends uh and that's another thing 99 percent of my closest friends are who i hunt with every day um that's how we stay in touch that's our common bond uh that keeps us all together um but people in the South talk about coming to Canada to hunt, and they talk about, well, how many ducks do you kill? How many, you know, how many, well, what's this, what's that? But, it, and that's great, but uh, what we saw today, and, and that's what makes this whole thing fun, uh, when you watch a flock of mallards come in and you watch them turn and twist and do this and that, it's different almost every time. And if you get caught up into we, we, we had to kill this X amount or, you know, we killed 500 ducks in three days or whatever. And that's all great. But if you do that, you're missing the what it's all about. Uh, it's fun to shoot. It's fun to kill ducks. But it, there's so much more to to it than, than that. Um, they do uh, and we have done brought new tactics and calling and this and that. And you guys have learned from people in the South coming up, I'm mm -hmm. assuming. For sure. So ducks are wiser. So the further we go South, um, that's why the camo has to be right. Uh, the clothing has to be right. Waiters, this or that. Calling, decoys. It's always changing. I mean, it, it, it's changed every year. And, and the ducks are getting smarter. We think maybe they are, maybe they're not. I don't know. A lot of that has to do with Mother Nature. Um, there are days when you can stand out there with a red flag and they're going to fall all over you, you know. But we have adapted uh, or changed our hunting methods or tactics to be more successful. And, and it's even came up, you know, here. And we definitely have to in the South because if you don't in the South, you're you're out of luck. Um, some of the best waterfowlers in the world, uh, and I'll say this till the day I die, have come out of West Tennessee. Um, Arkansas gets all the publicity, and Arkansas is great. The green timber hunting, the callers, they're the best in some of the best, but the real hardcore guys uh, that I have known that'll step out of the bounds i guess or try new stuff or, or or really 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 work at it uh are west tennessee guys um and and this is uh 
been true for a long time. There's just uh, in that small area there, there is a lot of competition, not so much as being uh, ducks over hunted, but competition amongst friends of who they think is doing it right or, or what do they call, what kind of call are they blowing? How are they setting their decoys up? Are they using motion? Are you not using motion? It's just uh, a ton of stuff uh, that, you know, it, 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 there's some really, really good, really good guys in West Tennessee. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, and to get it's not back surprising to, to hear, but real quick before you move on from West Tennessee, are you talking the I-40 corridor like west of Memphis into Arkansas? I mean, I know Memphis is pretty much the Arkansas border, but a little bit east of Memphis. I would say, I, real I would say the, the, the section between, there's, there's basically a triangle. Uh, Tennessee River, uh, you're going to Dyersburg, Mississippi River, and down, uh, you know, even uh, to Memphis. The, in that triangle right through there, ton of ducks, ton of ducks. Is that where Real Foot Lake would be? Real Foot Lake would be the, on the northern boundary of that. Yeah, 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 right on the Kentucky line. And that starts that, that whole uh, uh, deal. I mean, you've got some... Uh, Great duck and goose callers from that area. You got some great guides, uh, some phenomenal hunting land, um, and it never got the the uh, publicity, which is great, uh, that Arkansas gets. Um, but those are the same ducks shooting the same birds, depending on which way the wind's blowing or front comes from here. What well, it pushes those birds right across that Mississippi River, same ducks. So. Um, you have to do it better than they do because Arkansas is known for the rice and the, you know, the green timber and all that. So, so we have to really do it better to hold the birds and to, and to be successful. Uh, so, you know, like I said, it's a good it's a good area to be in. Does it drive you crazy to dry field hunt? And what I mean by that, before you answer, Hunter, is you don't have that where you live. Um, very rarely do you get on a dry field hunt, maybe occasionally for a speckle belly goose down in Arkansas, Mississippi, West Tennessee, but we're up here and there's water everywhere and there's thousands of mallards and we choose to hunt a dry field as Americans coming up here. And I would say a good percentage of Canadian duck hunts are done in dry fields. Now, why is that you think? Is it access? Is it easier? Because a lot of guys don't want to trudge through water. And I want G. Kipe to talk a little bit about this too. But first, being from where you are in West Tennessee, does it piss you off when a guy like me says, we're going to hunt the dry peas today? Or do you get just as excited or would you much rather see ripples with a jerk string on water to kill a mallard duck? No, I get just as excited. And I've had some phenomenal uh, water hunts up here too on potholes. I mean, and sometimes... Grant will tell you, you'll find a pothole that's surrounded by trees, uh, and you can even work those ducks like a like green timber. I mean, they'll fall straight down in there, and it takes a little more work. Uh, but up here, the, the dry fields are so much more accessible. I mean, you drive out, you can put your spreads out. And for guys that come to hunt here, and for their purposes, it's a lot easier, uh, especially if the fields are dry and you can drive in them. Now, when you're dealing with snow or mud or rain you know that kind of changes the game up and that makes it a little harder on everybody else but it's fun for me to see something different i don't mind hunting dry fields i don't mind hunting anywhere i'd hunt in the desert as long as the ducks are working you know what i'm saying uh that that's okay then what about the analogy when you say as long as the ducks are working in a dry field 
they say a monkey can do it. You just turn on a mojo and a spinner and just sit there in your lawn chair looking like Cousin Eddie in vacation with your cigar. Uh, is that true? Or today we saw ducks not really acting like ducks because I, I blame it on sunshine. We had a lot of ducks do it, don't get me wrong, but there was a lot of them where you're like, if there was, sun, I kept saying, if there was sun out, we'd be in the money every flock. I truly believe that sunshine is everything with mallard ducks, but is is it something to where you 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 know where I'm going with that kind of with, with dry fields and 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 the in the in the at the total approach to that is it something that where you would you you're saying that I would hunt ducks anywhere but you would you're telling me right now that you you would hunt them easily in a dry field just as easy as water when it's supposedly so much easier to kill them in a dry field does it's, that make sense what I'm asking it's not easier in a dry field what what's easier about being this far north is you're getting young birds for one you're getting birds that haven't been called at coming out of the the tundra or the breeding grounds here uh, we had flocks of ducks today that would almost get right, but wouldn't. And then we also had, you got two trucks sitting 10 feet from the decoys, and we got three ducks that come and light in the decoys uh, and, and jump them up, and they come right back. It's like they didn't want to leave. Now, so that's the biggest thing you've got. Uh, here you've got, and I said a while ago, Arkansas, and you, and you said uh, that we live in the Mecca or the best duck. This is the Mecca. I mean, up here, there, it's not even close uh, for the volume of ducks and, and the sheer opportunity that you have um, to, to see birds in these numbers. Uh, when you find them using a pea field or a whatever, barley field, weather changes, they swap over to a different grain to get more energy uh, or protein. Uh, you just, you, you can find them and that goes back to the scouting. Once you've got them located, uh, and you set up right, then no, it's not that hard. Uh, but it's still hunting, and that—that's—that's that, that's, even a sure thing. It's not always going to pan out, um, you know, the way you want it to. Okay, before I go to Grant, I'm going to ask you one more question on this topic, so I can try to break you. If you were Grant or Barkley, and you owned Buck Paradise, would you guide on water? more so than what I what you have relatively done in Canada? Would you do it more? Would you get on these farm ponds and these sloughs and hide in these cattails and get a, a, a boat maybe and get on a boat blind? Would you get on the river? What, would you be in your, who you are and what you do? Would I do it more? No. You'd be in the dry field. You still got to call the birds. I mean, and it's fun. You, you got to guess leave that up to your clients. Uh, if you find them, you do. Yeah, and a lot of that depends on, is it a roost or is it a loaf pond? Uh, you know, that, that, that plays a big role in it. Um, so, no, I love shooting ducks over water, but, I, I mean, I, I love shooting ducks over fields. That's and, pretty refreshing to hear because I would have bet money, I would have bet Grant 20 bucks that you would have said, yeah, I feel really dumb when I'm in a dry field. No. I would have bet money. Maybe dumb's the wrong word. No, but- it, it's still duck hunting. It doesn't matter where you're at. It's still, it's still, the, it's still duck hunting. Now I do like I like to watch a bunch of mallards work over a decoy spread in a in a flooded cornfield or a marsh or in the green timber or whatever. But it, they still do the same maneuvers and the same stuff right out here in these in these wide open fields. Grant, why don't you guide on water? Is it mainly because what Hunter just touched on on blowing a roost 
or disrupting the ducks on where they're living to where you know you can keep them in the area for an extended period of time and your guides can maybe hunt that group of ducks three or four times in different fields that they start hitting? Yeah, totally. And I think Barkley will agree. Like, you know, I guess number one is, again, the clients. Bringing waiters up is a pain in the butt, you know, and uh, they all ask, I'm like, no, we don't need them. You know, when we first started, we, we again, we learned over the years, we thought, oh, we got to hunt these ducks over water. <laughs> and the last, I'd say seven, nine years, Bark, we've been, you know, dry field shooting them. And, yeah, and pretty much. Way easier on our clients, you know, and especially, you know, we do take care of an older generation of, of, of waterfowl hunters that come up and hunt with us. They don't want to put on waders and tromp out in a slough, and then they're falling over. And we've we've done all that, and we're taking them back in the truck and drying them out. And you know they're not having any fun. We're not having any fun. The other thing is, is that when you find a field of ducks, they're going to be there. So you'll set up on that field that afternoon, and you're going to shoot those ducks. You know, again, weather and everything has to to make that perfect. It has to all work in your favor. Um, hunting water up around here and Barclay will agree with me I know in a second because there's so much water you drive around here within a 10 mile radius there's probably 40 water holes in this area so we bump them off that water we set all our stuff up and you sit there and then you might get one or two ducks and then at dark when you're packing up they're all coming back into that water you know, they just don't need to come back to that water because there's a pond over here, there's a pond over there. But that field, it's just like the geese. Why do they go back? You see them roosting at, or feeding at night. 99% of the time, they're going to be feeding there in the morning again, you know, and so that's where you go. And the ducks are the same way. So that's why we found field hunting in the evenings um, for these ducks is just way more successful where it's not about easy, it's about success. And that's what we find, you know, it, it is easier big time, but just uh, the success is so much better. There's, all, there's been a few times and uh, I've been hunting south of here uh, with a good buddy of mine, Mitch Hughes. Um, he hunts down around South Regina uh, that we've hunted uh, some water, but it would always be uh, it was basically a deal where we knew those birds were going to be there not they weren't roosting there uh and if you were there too late you didn't want to run them off the water you had to be there before they came to that loaf pond and then in a deal like that you can set up on them and you're hunting water but you're basically doing the same thing you're doing in a field because you know those birds are going to be there they're staging there to go out and feed so um that's it's really not that much different you're doing the same thing it's just just see a little bit something different and, and basically get wet uh you know so it, it's it it's still the same operation that's the only thing different about i've never hunted like big water like we have uh in the gully uh where we went by that's what i would call pretty good sized body of water around here i would think you could do it but i mean you don't have to so you know there's no need in it that would have to be like a special request or something from somebody to to want to do that and most guys are only here three days four days max when they come in on a, on a booked hunt and and there's just not that much time uh you know why do that when you don't have to so well the other thing shooting ducks on water disturbs them and, and they'll leave the area right 
you shoot them on the field, they'll still hit the water. They'll hit their transition pond or they'll go back to their, their roost at night. They might move to a different grain field, but they'll, they'll stay near that water. And that's the other key to it as well. You know, if you're, if you're disturbing them off the water, then they tend to move. They might move quite a few miles away, find some other water. But you love to hunt ducks on water, don't you, Barkley? I love, I've always loved it. it. But that depends on your guide, too. You know, over the years, we've had guides that know how to hunt ducks on water. And, and I'll find a transition pond or a loafing pond like Hunter just talked about. And if, if those ducks are hitting that and your guide has a super good dog, it can be a heck of a good hunt because they're just coming in. You know, you, you got a few decoys and those, those birds are just piling into that pond, you know. Let me it, ask it can you this, Let me ask you this on, the, on, on timing of your clients coming up here. Does it bother you at all as a Canadian outfitter, Grant, to potentially kill the amount of hens that you could on an early September duck hunt? You know where I'm going with that? Like, you can kill eight ducks a day here. In September, you really can't tell the difference between a male and a female. I don't think it's biologically proven that we can mess up the ecosystem or the, you know, the population of ducks by, by the hunt, the amount of hunters that come to this area that early and you cannot identify the ducks. Is that a problem or is, does it matter? Hunter needs to talk on that too, but does it bug you at all that when these hunters show up back at the lodge and they got all these brown ducks, I guess my question is, should they start the season a little bit later and give those ducks a little bit more time to get some green on their head? Well, I'll let Barkley go on on this too, but what I've seen over the last 18 years is our duck hunting just keeps getting stronger. And uh, That's exactly what I was just going to say, 19, 20 years. Yeah. And we, we've always tried to tell our hunters, shoot the drakes, shoot the drakes. But you, you know? can't tell right you can't in early tell. September. So yeah, half of them come back or more, you know, our hands. But, and, and honestly, if I, if our duck hunting was getting... Uh, poor, I'd be like, okay, we got to change things up here a little bit. But it's honestly, this is the strongest been, we've seen yeah, in years. Been phenomenal. It doesn't. Well, now we come from a place, and you do, especially to where, in in places like Arkansas and Tennessee, you can kill five ducks a day, four ducks a day, and or you can kill four mallards a day, and you can kill six, maybe two bonus ducks. Four of them can be mallards, and two of those four mallards can be hens. Does it matter that you that these hunters are coming up here in September, Hunter Macklemore, and, and slaying slaying the hens like they're going out of style because you can't tell? I don't. I'm not. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I'm just asking a simple question. Like, does it matter? Does it irritate you at all that that's allowed? And should it be you know pushed back a little bit, giving them time to green up some? No, uh, that's personal preference. I like to hunt later because I like to see the green heads. But as far as Killing ducks um, doesn't bother me at all as long as the duck numbers are staying uh, where they need to be. And as long as you're following the rules that the government lays out for you, I don't see a thing in the world wrong with it. Now, I've been to places, um, and I know you have, and I know people have different rules, different clubs have different rules, no hens, no this, no that. I mean, as long as you're doing what you're doing, I had no problem with shooting a hen. Um, People talk about... Well, the, you know, the good old days back in so-and-so. Man, this is the good old days. My son is uh, 16 years old. He's probably seen more ducks killed in his, uh, well, he's been hunting his whole life. But anyway, uh, than I ever even knew possible. When I was a kid, 
growing up, you know, in the 70s and 80s, uh, we go and kill six ducks, eight ducks. We were all out on the front porch making a picture of it, you know. You never heard anybody hardly killing 20, 30 birds in a day. That was unheard of. Now you got kids, uh, this younger generation, if they don't go kill 20, 30, they don't even go. They won't go. And that, that blows my mind. Uh, so that shit tells you right there that uh, we're losing way more hens and stuff to predators or to uh, disease or, you know, and then we are doing damage with a shotgun. Uh, you know, I just don't, I, I don't see a thing in the world wrong with it. If, you, if that duck comes in and you're illegal to shoot a hen, I say go for it. That, that's up to you. Then... What is the difference then if it's, you know, if a hen dies or, you know, the duck population is fine and Grant and Barkley just attested to this, that it's stronger than they've seen it in 1920 seasons up here at Buck Paradise. You come up here, like today we had four mojos going in a pea field with snow covered peas on it. And we decoyed ducks to like what you said, four to five yards. I pissed you off by not calling the shot. Why can't a freaking duck hunter use a mojo in the public timber of Arkansas or one of the wildlife management areas, the WMAs of Arkansas? Why can't you use a mojo down there if the duck population hasn't been disrupted? And you hear all these arguments like they're just they're too easy and they're just educating ducks and they're killing all the ducks and we're losing our ducks. And you guys just told me pretty much we can kill eight hens a day in Canada for 30, 45 days at a time up here. And it's legal to do. But I can't take a spinner into the public woods of Arkansas. What's the difference? Uh, I'll leave that up. I'm, that's that's no, not you're a my, southern not boy. My I hear battle. It. I, I'm not going there. Uh, <laughs> we can use them in Tennessee, so <laughs> so you can use them on private property in Arkansas, but you can't use them on public property. I don't know all that. that that's uh, yes, you I'm staying out of that. No, deal. you're not. I mean, I, I don't see what what it hurts. To be honest. Um, is it just the traditional deal to where the Arkansas duck hunter Maybe. wants to say we don't use them? Maybe, and they say, uh, well, and this may or may not be true. Um, they don't finish big bunches of mallards anymore like they used to. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we finished plenty of big bunches today. Uh, do you, so do you I, think, Hunter, that, it, you know, from 25 years ago, 20 years ago that there's just more pressure from when they start here a lot more to where totally because there wasn't i don't think a lot of duck hunters you know 25 years ago around here you know the odd saturday sunday or the biggest thing was these ducks or geese are eating my barley field we got to get some guys out there and go and shoot them and the, they'd take some garbage bags out and go and you know more to keep the geese off their crops than to go and hunt them was what was happening around here totally changed nowadays and we get a lot of locals that like to come out and hunt and they you know they spend money which is great for the waterfowl industry on decoys and clothing and all that good stuff but i think that it's changed that you know i don't think i think the duck population is as strong as it's ever been but these ducks are smarter by the time they get down to you you know they've seen it all just as the geese you know and uh i, I think that has a lot to do with it too where they're saying, oh, it's different now. Well, I think it's different because it's changed up here than compared to that's anything a good that's question. changed from did, you. Did your dad or the guys that you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, did they book a trip to Canada every year back in the 70s and 80s? No, you never heard of it. 
That's a good point, G. Kai. Never heard of it. So when did it get? If if and I don't know I if you know this, but <laughs> when, when did you? When did it get hot? When did it really like become something for an American to come to Saskatchewan or Alberta or Manitoba or Ontario? When did it really? Do you have any idea, Butter? It's getting hotter. I would say in the last um, what fifteen years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know that that people are, are are really starting to think about it and plan trips uh, to come do it. Well, I never even thought of that. Like. That could be, that's a very good analogy of why ducks are smarter because you have them getting educated at a young age every season now. And those one-year-olds are getting the education again because they're seeing top-notch spreads and equipment being used by outfitters like Grant and Barkley. Ducks, geese, and all. I mean, now you're, you're, uh, you got spinning wings. Like I said, your camo uh, is top-notch. Your decoys uh are top notch. You can't get any more realistic looking than GHG decoys, uh, as far as uh, the realism and all that. So these ducks are seeing, uh, you know, all that they're hearing better callers now because of these things. You can get on and watch YouTube, learn how to call. Uh, the the, you know, it's just a ton of stuff that uh, that makes it all. Um, harder for a hunter or easier or, or, or shows that mallard duck how to uh, adapt to what you're doing uh, but they'll tell you too and you know and we all know um, it's I think 99% of it is weather uh, me and you said something yesterday how they act in different weather uh, if they didn't get snow and, and the, the snow crust over and freeze that ground where those birds couldn't get to that feed we'd never kill a duck we wouldn't get them. We wouldn't migrate. The migration is totally dependent on Mother Nature oh, you're pushing saying we would those never birds go down south. Down south, yeah, yeah. they wouldn't leave here. All this farmland and water, we wouldn't have no reason to go south. You know? Yeah. Why would? You? And that's another part of the discussion is that once they do get across that Saskatchewan North Dakota border, now you got so much corn in in our flyways now that the dry feeding continues now a long time a long ways down that Mississippi flyway even over into the in the mountain and the and the Pacific flyway you have a lot of dry feeding going on because of ethanol and a lot of the crops being corn now where I would say back when your dad was hunting, you probably never really heard of a Minnesota or North Dakota duck hunter putting a, a dry field spread out. Not much. You, you, and you didn't have, uh, I can name when I was in high school, um, late 80s, maybe one or two fields that I knew were levied up and flooded. And, 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 and at that time, really no crop was left in. Just a levied field with water would kill birds. Um, now you've got levied fields everywhere at home. Uh, they'll leave hundreds of acres of corn. I mean, and you're talking about big time money to 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 let a hundred acres of corn sit there and be flooded just for ducks. Now uh, that that's changed stuff a lot. Um, what's happened here lately, I think too, and we go back to the weather deal. All right, say these birds get uh, you don't get the bad weather up here till later on. Well, these birds don't get pushed out till mid-November, December, whatever. Then they get hung up between uh, the Dakotas, uh, you know, and down and in there, even uh, Kansas, Kansas, and that, the seasons are already out. So those birds are not going anywhere. They're not hunting pressure-wise anyway. So they're not coming any further unless Mother Nature pushes them on down the road. So 
there's a lot of factors that go into uh, into uh, having a good duck season, but but it all goes back to uh, to weather. Hence the reason why more and more Americans are probably booking trips to Canada because the the migration is so unpredictable in the lower 48 in the states now that they can pretty much count on at least two out of three days being phenomenal when they come to Buck Paradise because, you know, even today was pretty extreme weather. I mean, we got six inches of snow overnight. The high was 26. It was cold. The ducks were still here like there was no tomorrow. So whether you come September 1st or October 10th, you can kill the living piss out of mallards and geese in Buck Paradise, Saskatchewan, and it's consistent. Where down in the States, it's very inconsistent. Now, you could have a duck property that you build like you've been touching on, Hunter. There's a lot of guys that are quote-unquote farming for ducks now, but that's still dependent on what you're saying with the amount of corn what does it take a duck to leave north dakota south dakota western minnesota i mean it takes a lot of snow on the ground to where they can't get to that food source or all of their water freezes up and you better hope there's not a pretty good river system around to to keep them on open water and you touched on something there and i wanted to ask barkley this and i'm putting him on the spot a little bit but i saw him paying attention in the avery panel blinds today those avery finisher panel blinds are badass yeah Barkley. Yeah, yeah. i like them We'll talk about those on tomorrow night's podcast. We're going to do this a couple hours every night, gentlemen, before we go to bed, just to, you know, will you to sleep? Grant, I'm just, just relax. I'm going to ask you this question too. You heard him blow a duck call today and you heard me blowing a duck call today. On a scale from one to two, how good was I? <laughs> was I? Was I? One to two? Yeah, one to two. It's hard it's to be bad. It's usually one to ten. I know, but one to two, it's hard for me to be bad. You say one, I'm still right there in the mix. But how much better was I on a duck call, a single read duck call specifically, than Hunter McLemore? And could you really hear my my duck compared to his? Like, you know, I was a lot duckier, right? I'm putting you on the spot, Barkley. Uh, he had a very interesting call, one I've never heard before. Honestly, Cut down. no. And, and when he blew his call, the birds turned. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. Oh, more yeah. than I've ever seen. Was it not as ducky as you've ever heard though? I, I was being a smart ass with my question, but I kept going, God, I was damn, being a smart call. ass with my answer. His, you were, yeah. uh, but his call sounded awesome today. It, it totally like, I don't did. know if you guys noticed that, but my ears trained to duck calling now. And I'm not saying that I am the foremost uh, knowledgeable duck call i'm not saying that i'm just saying that i do it so much and i'm around it so much that i've become trained to hear good and bad duck calling and what i was hearing today i was like my call doesn't make that sound and i don't know if you guys could hear that but he sounds and where 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 i want him to touch on is he sounds like a hen mallard now whether or not those ducks heard my call more and they were spinning to it it doesn't matter i i got had some pretty good cadences maybe maybe my timing was pretty good I am simply talking about the authenticity of a duck call and the sounds and the vocalizations that he was making was a hen mallard. Hunter, am I off on that or have you studied it so much to where that is the single most important thing to you? Volume, loudness, wall of sound, speed, all of the trick stuff, Cajun squill or Cajun, whatever it is refuge feed chuckle all of the stuff that can be done on a duck call is the most important thing to you the authentic authentic sound of a hen mallard duck it is to me but there's there's uh days where you can blow a kazoo and and, and they're going to come to that um that's what's another thing about duck hunting every day is different and, and people think that you know Everybody sounds different, for one thing. Every person sounds different on a duck call. Each person has their own authentic sound or whatever. My goal as a kid, 
uh, and still today is to sound like a duck. I would go to the refuge or or you hear a flock of mallards flying over and you hear a hen or you or you have ducks in the decoys before daylight and you're listening to them. They all sound different. Every one of them in that group. So there's no wrong or right way to do it. Um, but what's funny is every day you go out there um, and, and it even goes down to every hour where we hunt, you can blow uh, at ducks and they'll respond to you in a certain way or a certain call. Some days you can barely call to them. Some days you have to hammer them all the way to the water or all the way to the shot. If you ever let up for a second, they'll they'll leave on you. You have to hook them up and, and bring them in. Other times, you know, the, you don't have to do nothing. Uh, the main thing, you want those ducks to hunt you. Um, and want to know where that call is coming from. That's the biggest deal. I mean, you're trying to get them close. Uh, and if you've got them looking for you or you can hook them and turn them and, and, and watch them, study them. Uh, when birds are working, you can tell whether they're going to drift on you or don't try it. A lot of times a, a, a major foul that I see a lot of people doing, depending on the wind when you're working ducks, if you don't, watch them and hit them at the right time you'll get them in too small a circle right above you they can't they can't really work to the call because they're listening to you they're looking for that for that sound but you're you're not letting them get the area they need to get right with your decoy spread to get a good shot um so you know that's why it's just uh i going back to what you said i i want to sound as realistic as i can now, some days that doesn't work. I've heard people that I thought, my God, that's the worst call I've ever heard in my life, and I've seen ducks turn inside out and fly over some of the best callers I've ever heard and not ever look at them. So, you know, it's got to do on, on every day's different, that certain pitch or volume uh, that that something is clicking in those birds' ears uh, that they like on that day. And, uh, you know, that's... That, that's what I feel about it. I know it's a lot more advanced than what you're talking about because you it's second nature to you, and I love listening to you talk about it because what you say resonates with me so much. And I think it's really cool to hear you say that everybody sounds different and, you know, that you've seen them turn inside out over sounds that you would never make on your call. And that's the difference. And that's where I'm saying is that you wouldn't ever do that because today you were so like subtle and so I don't I you, I, you guys probably think I'm an idiot, but I really did hear his call and how ducky it was. And I'm not kissing his ass because I don't frankly, I don't need to. I don't care. I just know that he can blow the living piss out of a duck call and then he'll go into the turkey woods and absolutely blow your mind with how real realistic he is on on with turkey so i think that that's the coolest part of waterfowl hunting i know there's a lot that goes into it i'm not saying that decoying and jerk rigs and spinning wings and leases and landowners and scouting and 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 boats and access i know how awesome all of it is but the communication and the vocalization and what we get to do as humans if you think about it like this grant and we're going to get we're going to get off of these microphones here and have one more hottie toddy for the night before we uh, hit the sheets for tomorrow's hunt. But if you think about duck hunting, it's different than having your back up against a tree for a turkey or standing in a stand for a deer or being in a, a, a elevated blind or a ground blind for a, a bear waiting for him to come to a bait in Saskatchewan. 
The reason it's different is because of the camaraderie, the ribbon, the friendship, what's going on in the panels of that blind, right? Within the inner depths of that blind. And that's what I love about it. So not only are you communicating with those animals and you're literally saying, come back here. Don't go there. Stay there. Come here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't do that. Do that. Wait, 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 wait. Don't do that yet. Don't know. Wait, just wait a minute. There's a bunch more behind you. Hold up for a second. I want them to catch up. You're doing, talking all that smack to the ducks. And then we get to turn and talk to our friends and rib and tell stories. And that's what this place has been built on. It literally has been built on the camaraderie of a community of hunters that share that common denominator and passion of wanting to be in the outdoors. And there's a man that I met at your camp last year, and his name's John LaMonico. And he contacted me a couple weeks after, and he said, Chad, this man is 84. He's hunted all over the world. You would think he's 60, the way he gets after him still. He contacts me and says, I, do you mind if I send you my books that I wrote, my, my picture books? And he signed them and sent them to me. And now he's meeting me in Kansas on, on December 3rd through the 7th to do an episode on his life. I'm going to do an episode. I want it not, I didn't mean I, but our team is going to do an episode on John LaMonico's life. That's meaningful to me because I would have never, ever had the chance to meet such an intriguing human being that is a philanthropist, <clears throat> does so much work for charities, has been very successful financially in life because he works his ass off and he deserves every bit of it. Mm-hmm. His wife is awesome and gorgeous. Robin. And yeah. Robin is great. But I would have never met him if I didn't, wasn't ever invited to your camp. And that's what I'm saying is that this lifestyle, being a duck hunter, is so much different to me. I'm not saying that deer hunting and turkey hunting and all that isn't badass, but I feel Buck Paradise is a waterfowl destination i know you can go kill a 180 whitetail on any given day here and just go out and smoke a huge black bear i get it i love you for it but the camaraderie that it's happened between this camp and that north camp is absolutely freaking amazing to me and you just heard him he at the beginning of this deal he said i'm going to keep up with these guys because he can already tell that you guys like him and he likes you which again it's contagious mm-hmm. right for that's sure. it's so cool and that's i don't know wh- how you've done it I know that there's been a lot of luck and a lot of tenacity and a lot of, there's been a lot of stressful sleepless nights. I get it. I know what you've gone through, but man, kudos to you, Grant Barkley. This place is amazing. And I'm humbled to be here again. Like, again, we did, we started the, our, our brand, the foul life right here with bandit and the foul life with buck paradise. And here we are 10 years later and ending season 10 with freaking buck paradise. I love it. Isn't it awesome? That's awesome. It's been a great ride. And you believe you 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 agree with me that that everything that ha- that uh, there's so much good that happens in in these walls of Buck Paradise. It's <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah this place is awesome, especially. Are, are, are we laughing? Are we laughing because I'm not supposed to know some things that have happened within these walls of Buck Paradise? Uh, it's you know I I've, again Grant. Why is Barkley laughing out of control right now? Because. My girlfriend and I used to come here quite a bit there a few years ago. So. Oh, I just touched a button, didn't I, Hunter? Anyways, back to hunting. Um, Barkley's crying right now. <laughs> Barkley can't talk anymore. It's, I, you know, I, I, again, it, you use the word surreal, and it really is, Chad, because I wake up every day and I look, I look over at my hunting lodges and I... 
And I go over to my shop where our bar is and I see all the trophies that I've been able to hunt over the years and, and, and the waterfowl and the pictures and the guest books. And I look at it and I just, I, I really can't believe it. And it's, um, again, I never, you know, a farm boy growing up in Saskatchewan and, and being able to do, and, and the places it's took me, the hunting adventures that I've gotten to go on, the people that I've met, the friendships, you know, Barkley and I, I, I consider him one of my best friends, my best friend, um, you know, because of this business, you know, I wouldn't have met him if I was just still farming. It's been um, just an unbelievable adventure. A lot of people tell me I have a great life and I can't argue with them. I really, really do because I have so many great friends all over North America and it's, you know, yeah, I got a lot of money sitting out in the field right now and it's covered up in snow and it sucks, you know, but we'll get through it. You know, I've learned from meeting all these people, um, you know, there's always somebody else that's, there's a lot of people that have a lot of problems in the world and it sucks, you know, and, uh, I am just very thankful for my life. And if I am having a bad day, I just got to shake my head and say, look at, you just stop and look at what you got, you know, look at what we've got and what we've built and, and how fortunate I am, you know, and the friendships and, you know, to have, you know, the adventures that I've had with Chad Belding, we've been on lots of great trips together, you know, and, and I think there's more to come Guaranteed. down the road. Aaron, you know, when I hugged you and Lana, Lana, Lana. When I hugged you guys last October. I was just like, "God oh, damn it, where, 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 you know, you get busy in life, and it just like felt natural again." Mm-hmm. And that, it's because of this. I would have never met you if it wasn't for a mallard duck. Period. True. And I just think that that's so cool. And I know that you can do that through golf, and I know that you can do that with your with whatever job you have. It's just there's so much cool shit that happens at Duck Camp Canada, I Duck agree. Camp America. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Hunter McLemore, do you have anything to add to this awesome 75 minutes that we just laid down at This Life Ain't For Everybody? Just add something. Just drop a little bit of knowledge or a freestyle rap because you are known as MC McLemore. Whenever, no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> whenever you're around people that, that duck hunting or have been in it as long as we all have, um, that's a special person and you got to bond with that person because it's not for everybody uh why would you get out of bed uh dark in the morning snow outside go sit on top of snow or ice uh to maybe or may not kill a duck and we do it day after day after day um and not every day successful more times than not in the south you're not successful but it's for that day that you hit that's right, that's perfect, and all of it comes together, and that makes it all worthwhile. And then anticipation of maybe that'll happen again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, uh, you know, that's what it's all about. I love it. I love it. Barkley? Well, I rolled in here this morning, 7.30. I see Hunter sitting there having coffee. A couple of camera guys having coffee. No buildings. None. I was on a conference call. <laughs> what is his deal tonight, Grant? He's, he's got you. He's just giggly. Anyway, I, I knew we weren't hunting this morning. I was awake at four o'clock. How do you go from being sentimental Hunter Macklemore to being smart ass Barkley Fisher that quick? Can't you at least say something like, you know what, this is. <laughs> 
It is true. Hey, look. Today was like Christmas. So for then me. we come back at what ten o'clock. I mean, I knew we were going yeah. duck hunting today. I was I couldn't sleep. Oh, it was awesome. I was so excited. But y'all said we were leaving here at seven forty five. I was walking out that door at seven thirty one. Exhausted you had your in the face. New York no. shorts on. No, I was going saddles. to jog. I was walking out there in my jogging shoes to run behind the truck like yeah. freaking Rocky Balboa. So we, we come back at ten and you're pretending to do push ups. Pretending? I did ten sets of twelve, thank you very little. It was 20 sets of eight. I did 100. <laughs> 20 times eight is 160. No, that's. I wish I'd have done that many. I was getting after it. No, um, but here, it's, it's, okay. it's really is. Like, we can, I love it. We, we can rib, and we don't take it personal. And I, th- I just think that there's so much cool that comes out of the walls of these duck camps, okay? And I know that you guys got all googly-eyed when I said that before, and I, you know, I touched on something there, and I feel really good that I investigated <laughs> that. But I'm, I'm, I'm truly feel blessed to be a duck hunter. I really do. And that's, that's why, and I don't care if I ever get to see, I mean, I do, I can't say that. I love being under ducks. It's powerful and it's emotional and I love it. But there's so much cool things that have happened in my life since 2000 to 2018 because of a green headed freaking duck and a white cheek Canada goose that I literally, they've ruined my life in a lot of ways and driven me crazy. And they've put so much joy and love in my life. And there's been some roadblocks and there's been some fallouts and there's been some build backups. And that's what life's all about. It's all about maturing and understanding where you go wrong and where you go right and how to keep it in your lane and between the lines. And duck hunting's taught me a lot of that. It's the, it's the ideology and the humility that goes into this lifestyle. That's taught me how to really truly feel passionate every day when I wake up and that there really is nothing to bitch about. And that's how I try to live every day. Being at St. Jude's Hospital last week in Memphis, Tennessee, and the Ronald McDonald House and seeing seven-year-old kids with no vision and brain cancer and, and dying, and they're still resilient enough to laugh at me and sing songs to me and sing Purple Rain from Prince and Freddie Mercury, We Are the Champions, and I'm sitting there going... I bitch because I had a headache today or I didn't get a promotion or, I mean, there's a lot of things in our life that we can choose to complain about, but this life and the humility that it's taught me and the people that I've got to meet and the lifestyles that I've got to walk alongside of, it's taught me like, Hey man, people have done it. He lost his dad at, at, you know, I lost my dad. You lost your dad. It's happens. Okay. It's, it's not just me that lost my dad. I get into, you know, meeting Hunter. We've clicked in the last two years and we spend a lot of time together. I want to spend more with him, but it's because of a freaking duck and we owe it. All of these friendships around this table and in between these walls right now are because of a duck. And that's cool to me. That's that. I don't want to, I don't want to take anything away from that. I want people to think about it. It's because of a freaking duck that we're all sitting here together again. And we're going to do it again tomorrow. We're going to have a prime rib dinner with a mallard duck appetizer prepared by yours truly and my girl. You want to talk a little bit about the cook, Barkley? Talk to what? What are her? her she is a five star chef. I mean, she. Marion all- has uh, traveled all over the world. I love her, and at, when she travels, she um, attends cooking classes yeah, or education. Good for you getting her. She's been. She's awesome. I love she's cooking great. on that Traeger with her. But I think that we owe a lot of gratitude to the duck, and I don't ever want to take it away from that this lifestyle is because of that. It's not because we get to kill a ton of them, and it's not because we're the best duck hunters in the world. We get to do this because we love it, and we're passionate about it. 
So I appreciate you guys being here tonight. The dinner was phenomenal night. I can't wait to be at the North property tomorrow. I can't wait to keep doing this. I mean, I'm 43 years old and I feel like I can do this forever. John LaMonaco is 85, 84, 85, and he's still rocking it. He's hunting right now. He just got back from Uruguay and two weeks before that he was in Argentina. The dude does not stop. He's awesome, but more power to him. I love him. He deserves all the success that he's gotten because he worked his butt off. Guys, Chad Belding, this life ain't for everybody. Grant Kuypers, Barkley Fisher from Buck Paradise. Grant has one more thing to say. This is probably the best podcast you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Um, <laughs> that really is. Like, Hendo, I apologize. All the musicians and the athletes. Yeah. And that stuck me. But here's the deal. We have new episodes of season 10 of the Foul Life Aaron right now on the Outdoor Channel. This week, we are in Missouri and Iowa for snow goose hunting during the spring depredation season of 2018. This last spring, just a few months ago, we have new merchandise at thefowllife.com in our store. I hope you guys are loving it. We're selling it like crazy. Again, I appreciate the support. Most of anything, I appreciate the support of this podcast right now and the growth and our, our Foul Life and Banded fans that have that have really supported the podcast. We're excited about the growth and the, uh, the variety of guests that we have and that we will continue continue to have so for grant kuypers the founder the originator the saskatchewan badass of buck paradise his protege barkley fisher who was on fire tonight with his little wit and his little his little chad belding jokes i love him like a brother and my boy from the state of tennessee west tennessee that is hunter mclemore the son of famed duck caller three-time world champion and champion of champions mike mclemore if you guys ever google mike mclemore look and see what he did to a duck call and how he built a duck call that hunter you know still blows to this day he was a man a legend a trailblazer i'm humbled to be in the blind with hunter wish i could have shared some blind time with mr mike himself for this life ain't for everybody podcast thank you for all the support we have tons of super guests coming up but we will be in canada for the next 15 days we're probably gonna get seven or eight episodes up here i'm chad belling tom rashishin would you do me a favor please my brother from another mother play leith loft and what you're gonna do when the money's all gone i love that song see you next week leith thank you all very much